We're going to look at the Christmas story today from first the Gospel of Matthew, and then we're going to follow some passages from the Gospel of Luke, looking at some Old Testament passages of Scripture. We're doing that because it's Christmas time, and it's appropriate that we do that. From Matthew chapter 1, beginning to read in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. You think that he's trying to tell us how and when Jesus was born and what the circumstances were like. He lays it out. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awake, awoke from his sleep and did as the angel commanded him and took Mary as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. At Christmas, we're reminded of the importance of family. We, this morning, Gina and Jane Evelyn sang together, and then Doug and his girl sang together last Sunday morning, and then tonight we've got the kids coming, and they're going to sing, and families. It's just a family time, and it's a family time because when we read the Christmas story, what we see is a family, a little family, trying to make their way in the world. Uh, God has given them this little baby, the baby Jesus. And it's a young family, I remind you, a very, very young family. And they had it hard. Joseph was a carpenter. Mary had to wash clothes by hand. She had to cook food without any of the modern conveniences that we know about today, and so they struggled to get by. And, but they had this little baby, and this little baby that God brought into their home, they tried to do their best, not only to care for the baby, not only to love the baby as parents should do, but also to, to be responsible for the spiritual welfare of this little child that God had brought into their home. And so this morning, I want us to take a few minutes to think about the spiritual upbringing of Jesus. That took place, you know. Jesus learned. He grew. The Bible tells us that. And so there were some people in his life who were responsible for that. So we're gonna, I'm going to outline eight points. They're going to come very quickly. And so just follow along with me as we look at this uh, insight into really Mary and Joseph as they raised Jesus as a little baby up to a boy of about 12 years old. Number one, before he was born, his parents understood that God had a purpose 
for his life. We know how that came about. The angel Gabriel came to Mary. Then that same angel appeared to Joseph and spoke to Joseph and, and, and to let them know this. But does that mean that only certain people in the Bible, that God had a purpose for their life? We see it over and over, really. And it, what we need to understand that it's not an anomaly. It's not some strange thing, but rather it's the norm. It's the norm. God spoke to Jeremiah when he was just a teenager, and he told Jeremiah something that Jeremiah really didn't know. He had no clue. God told Jeremiah, he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. God had a purpose for Jeremiah's life before he was born, for John the Baptist's life before he was born, for Moses' life before he was born, for Jesus' life before he was born, for your life before you were born, for the children that are your responsibility, God has a purpose for their life. And we also know that even if that child has special needs, that child is yours by divine appointment. And those who have children of special needs know that clearly. They know that God has given them a responsibility, a great blessing in a way, an opportunity to be the parent of a child with a special purpose. God has a special plan. God has a plan for each of us. And as parents, we're to bear that in mind that we have a spiritual responsibility for this child. And so in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, we read, Mary and Joseph carefully followed the instructions they were given by the angel. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. They're just trying to do what God wanted them to do. They're trying to be the parents that God wanted them to be. That's really the best that you and I can do is to just follow the instructions that have been given to us by God. Number two, his parents were aware of their personal responsibility for his spiritual upbringing. This is laid out in Scripture. It was laid out for them in the Old Testament. In uh, the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord said, he said of, of his word, of his principles, he said to the people, you shall teach them to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. That was the responsibility of people in the Old Testament. And so although we read about Mary and Joseph in the New Testament, they were Old Testament people, really. And they were fulfilling the, the assignment that they had been given as parents. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 46 through 47, the, the Lord said, Take to your heart all these words which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. He said, It is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. It was a matter of life and death that they teach these things to their children. But this is a responsibility carried over to New Testament parents as well. If you say, well, that's the Old Testament and it doesn't apply to me. Well, listen to what Paul said in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He said, fathers, who is he speaking to? Dads. 
Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Paul laid on parents the spiritual responsibility to bring children up in the ways of the Lord, the same spiritual responsibility that Mary and Joseph had for the life of Jesus. And so the Bible said, you know, as we read the story, we're going to turn to Luke now and and chapter 1 of Luke and then chapter 2 of Luke, that Mary and Joseph were very serious about keeping Jesus connected with church. Let me tell you the first thing they did when he was just a baby. Luke chapter 1, verse 22. When the days were for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So as the years went by, they established this tradition of taking Jesus and the rest of their children, because ultimately they had other children, they took them to Jerusalem first to present him to the Lord. They, they made that a practice. That's the first thing they wanted to do in keeping with the word of God, to present him to the Lord. But then every year, every year, they made it a point to attend the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. As you know, every year at Passover, people tried to go from wherever they lived. They couldn't always go every year, but they tried to go sometime. It was the passion of their heart to be able to go one time or more or sometime to be able to go to Jerusalem. But the Bible says that every year, listen to Luke chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. Why did they take him? They took him because this is what God had instructed his people to do. Listen to this instruction from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, about attending Passover and what the parents' responsibility was for the children. It says, And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you as he's promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children shall say to you, what does this rite mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshiped. Just as they were responsible for the spiritual upbringing of their children, We're responsible for the spiritual upbringing of our children. Number three, his parents modeled spiritual commitment by being personally involved in God's work. You'll notice that in back to Luke chapter 1, verse 21, when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. He was just about... uh, Six weeks old at that point, at that early age, they brought him to Jerusalem, not just to the town, but to the temple. They didn't send him on the church bus. They didn't let the grandparents bring him. These parents were personally involved in God's work. Now, unfortunately, 
I know Doug has seen this as well, and sometimes we talk about it. Down through the years, I've seen parents sit back and complain about how the youth minister or the children's minister was failing to produce spiritual development in the life of their children. Notice their children. First, it's not our responsibility to do that. We can facilitate that, but it's your responsibility. If there is a failure there, the first thing you need to do is to consider what you're doing at home. Second, some of those same parents who complain sometimes came to church so sporadically that they sabotaged any impact the church or its programs could have on the lives of their children. So here Mary and Joseph, they were involved in God's work and they started early realizing that God had a purpose for their child. And in that same passage, Luke chapter uh, 1 verses 22 uh, through 24, it said, When the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and, notice, to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Here's number four. His parents modeled the importance of their own commitment by being personally invested in God's work. Now, the, the way the, the scripture laid this out was that a child was to be presented to the Lord and that the parents were to bring a, an appropriate sacrifice. What the scripture said was they should bring a lamb for a sacrifice. That's what they were to do. They were to give a sacrifice. They were to give an offering to the Lord, a sacrifice. It was to be a lamb. But if they were poor, if they were poor, they could give a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What did Mary and Joseph bring? A pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. They were poor, but they didn't use the excuse of being poor as an excuse not to give. They did exactly what God wanted them to do. That was a sacrifice for them. It was not not something easy or simple for them to do. Likely, they, had to, they may have had that at home or they may have had to purchase that as many people did at that time, but it required an investment on their part. They were investing. There's something about giving that connects your heart to God in a deeper way. And sometimes in the church, we become takers but not givers. We live on Christian welfare. We, we expect the giving and sacrifices of other people to provide for the spiritual upbringing of our own children. But this example of Mary and Joseph teaches us that even if you're poor, you should give. Chapter 2, verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. One of the things that verse means above anything else is they were faithful. They were just simply faithful. In other words, that's number five. His parents were faithful to God's work. There was a consistency about their commitment. Uh, they were faithful. And so because they were faithful, Jesus was raised to be faithful. My mother uh, went to church every Sunday when I was growing up. I give credit to my mom for my involvement in church. 
My dad didn't always go, but my mother always went, and she made sure every Sunday that I was in Sunday school. By the time when I was seven years old, from the time I was seven years old until the time I was 18, I had an 11-year perfect attendance pin in Sunday school, but it didn't have anything to do with me. It had to do with my mom, who insisted that I be in Sunday school. She taught the senior adult ladies class in our church for 60 years from the time that she was a young lady until the time that she couldn't go up the steps to teach it anymore. She taught the Sunday school class. She was faithful. She modeled faithfulness for me. And that's what parents should model to their children is being faithful to God's work. So how many times do you think that Jesus had been to Jerusalem by the time he was 12 years old? He'd been 12 times because that's what they did every year because they knew they had a spiritual responsibility. What happens to parents who raise their children that way? They lose their children. They lose them. We read the rest of the story very simply beginning in verse 43. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. But supposing him to be in the caravan, they went a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Didn't you know? that I had to be in my father's house. They modeled commitment. They were faithful. They were involved. They were invested. It was a heart matter to them, and so it became a heart matter to Jesus. Number six, your personal commitment to God, or lack of it, will show up in the life of your children. And where was Jesus? He was in the temple. Why should they have been surprised? Didn't they know? That's what Jesus said. Didn't you know? Several years ago, I visited a, uh, a lady that was my next-door neighbor growing up. Her, she was dying of cancer, and I, when I visited her in the hospital, her son was in jail again. He grew up right next to me, and there were some things that went on in his home when he was growing up, when he was just a young boy, that may have had an impact on the fact that that happened. Didn't they know that when they had trouble in their home that their troubles would turn around and impact him and have an influence on their life? Didn't they know that? So Jesus just turned around to his parents and said, didn't you know? Didn't you know after the way you've raised me? Didn't you know after the way you've encouraged me? Didn't you know after the way that you've modeled your own commitment that this is where I would be? Parents, don't you know that your example, the spiritual upbringing of your children is going to impact their lives and their future across the years ahead? Number seven, the spiritual upbringing of the children in our church requires a congregational commitment. If you look at verse 44 of the second chapter of Luke, you see where they went to look for him. When they couldn't find him, when they lost him, 
Where did they go look for him? They went to the caravan of folks they'd been hanging out with. That's where they went. To the caravan of folks that they'd been going to church with. They went to look for him among them. A community of some sort is going to help you raise your kids. A caravan of some sort. Is it going to be the caravan at the ball field? Is it going to be the caravan at the river? Is it going to be the caravan at the horse show? Or is it going to be the caravan of people that come to church modeling their commitment to Christ and their faithfulness to Christ? There was a caravan of people here who shared a common faith. I love to tell this story, and I told it to you before some years ago, when Will Williman, that was his name, Will Williman was the dean of chapel at Duke University He had a parent who called him on one occasion. He was absolutely irate with him. His daughter had been involved with some of the things, some of the student groups there on campus, and had told her parents that she was not going to pursue her graduate degree. She had just graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering at Duke University, and instead of pursuing a graduate degree and going further, she was going to give up her degree in mechanical engineering and she was going to go to Haiti and dig ditches in Haiti and, with, a, with, a, with a mission group. And so when, when this father calls Will Williman, the dean of chapel at Duke University, he's upset. He said, I hold you personally responsible for this. Will Williman said, you're, you're holding me personally responsible? He said, yes, I'm holding you personally responsible. The audacity, the thought of such a thing. A girl with a graduate degree in mechanical engineering and she's going to dig ditches in Haiti. This is your fault. And Will Williman said, now wait a minute. He said, I'm not the one that had her baptized. I'm not the one that took her to Sunday school every Sunday. I'm not the one that had her go to vacation Bible school. I'm not the one that taught her about Jesus, told her stories about Jesus when she was growing up. I'm not the one who sent her on the mission trips with the church. When He said, that was you, that was you, that was her parents that did this, that had this influence. And the father said, but all we ever wanted her to be was a Presbyterian. But didn't they know? Didn't they know when they modeled that kind of commitment, when they made that kind of investment in her life, when they had shown her what it was to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that is exactly who she would become. She would be a person who understood that Christ wanted all of her life and she gave all of her life to Jesus. That's simply what Jesus was saying. Didn't you know? Didn't you know that because of the way you raised me, that I would give my heart and life to to God to be His servant? That was God's purpose for His life. And so as we raise children in our homes, we need to remember that God has a plan and a purpose for them. Whoever they are, however they've been placed into our home, even if we've adopted them, God has placed them into our hands. We have a spiritual responsibility for those children. And finally, let me remind you, last point, parents are still the most important people in the life of their children. Nobody is more important than mom and dad. Not the youth minister. Look at him. Certainly not him. Not the pastor. Look at me. Certainly not me. You kids, as you grow up, you're thinking, well, I'm going to do a better job 
than, than raising my children. When I have children, I'm going to do a better job than my parents did when they were raising me. I think every child thinks that way. And then we grow up and have children of our own, and we find out, don't we, Braun? It's not quite as easy as we thought it was going to be. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a challenge for you too. Your parents probably are doing the very best they can. There's no book that they have to go by, especially for you, Braden. There's no book. They didn't write a book on you. So they're just trying to do the best they can, but they love you, and that's the job of parents, to love their children, to walk with Jesus day by day, and just do the best you can. But one of the, the best you can is to bring them to church. The best you can is to model commitment. You know, when we were thinking about redoing our children's ministry a little bit in our preschool, we had someone come from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, an expert on children's ministry, because sometimes people are pushing to have children's church. But you know what they told us? The experts say, the experts say, the best place for a child to be in church is sitting with their parents in the congregation watching daddy open his Bible when the preacher calls out the scripture, watching mom open her hymnal and sing, watching mom and dad bow their head and pray, watching the offering plate pass and watching mom and dad drop something in the offering plate. You thereby model your commitment to the Lord. But of course, the greatest thing you can do as a parent, if you've not done it already, is to say yes to Jesus yourself, to answer the call that Jesus is sending to your heart, calling you to follow him, calling you to trust him, calling you to make him your savior. If you've not done that, that's your number one priority in leading your family. Let's pray.